Who here has made, at some stage in their life, a New Year's resolution? Now, keep your hand up if you kept that resolution. There's some people. Awesome. This is great. Wow. I was hoping for at least one, so this is great. Two, two, yeah. Hey, awesome. Um, we do this every year, and, and it comes around at New Year's, and we kind of have these a vision probably that we want to change something in our lives, right? You know, maybe we want to exercise, I want to be, I want to do a marathon, or I'm going to I'm going to lose some weight, so I'm going to go on this diet, or I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to read X amount of books this year, or I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. So we have a vision of what we really want to do. Um, but just as an aside, I always think it's a weird time of year to actually start doing something like that. Anyway, I know it's the start of the year, but in the southern hemisphere, we're normally in the wake of the Christmas holidays. You're out of your normal rhythms. You're normally away on holiday at some campsite, and there's so much temptation around. You know, people got those boxes of chocolate and like, you know, the little biscuit things and, and there's always the ham left over and there's like, and it's like, that's when you're going to start your new rhythm of, of exercise and diet and stuff, like in the midst of like your not normal rhythms of life. Just as an aside, I think it work, must work better in the Northern Hemisphere because they're just straight back into work, but I just think that's a weird time of year to start. I reckon we probably should really start about February once we've got through, run out of money, we're back into school and work, and it's like, yeah, back to normal life. But I just think that's this is strange. But anyway, saying all that to say, uh, New Year's Eve revolution, uh, resolutions, we do it all the time because we want to change. I think there's something within us that realises that things aren't quite how we want our life to be. And I think the same is true for in our walk with Jesus that there are many of us and many of you guys would probably have the same resolutions at New Year's or the start of the year. This is the year I'm going to read through the whole Bible and not give up in Leviticus. This is the year I'm going to get up every morning at 5 a.m. or 6 a.m. and have that hour-long time of prayer and not give up after three days. Like, we have these, this vision of how we want our life to be, and so we we have this kind of resolution, this thing that we're putting out there. And I just want to say that's a good thing. There's something within us that realizes that we need to grow and we need to change. And I just want to say this right from the start because this is all part of a new series that we're doing and we're looking at how we change. But I just really want to just make this so foundational and just I'll probably say it a couple of times through my message that God loves you just where you're at. Okay, right now. He loves you where you're at, not where you think you should be, okay? Our, his love for us is not conditional upon us achieving things or being something. He loves us because he loves us. <laughs> he created us. Even if we don't love him, he still loves us. So that is foundational, guys, today as, and as we go through this series is that that God loves us where we're at. And we've got to get that into our hearts every day, that God loves us where we're at, not where we think we should be. Like That's really the gospel, you know, that we cannot save ourselves and that we need a saviour who can come and do that for us. And saying all that, God loves us for who we are and where we're at. God's desire for your life is not that you remain the same. 
God's desire for you is that you will grow, that you will change, that you will become more like him, right? That is the desire of his heart. And I think sometimes in our churches, we struggle with this because of the whole concept of grace. We don't really understand it. And then we think if we're trying to do things that it's somehow we're getting into legalism or works. But it's all about our heart posture, that we want to be more like him and then we grow in him. And it's a work of grace. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. It's actually more about surrendering and yielding and allowing God to shape and form us like, like clay than it is about us trying to achieve anything. But it all starts with grace. And it's moving and growing in God. And I don't know about you, but this has been an experience of my life as a Christian. I got, I got saved at 13. Um, powerful experience like many of you guys have had. Went to the front. I was bawling my eyes out overwhelmed by the grace and love of God. How could God love me? How could he forgive my sins? How could he do all these incredible things in my life? I got baptized at 15. I've had significant moments of the Holy Spirit touching my life that I know God is real, that I know that he's the creator of the universe. I know that he's amazing, yet I still struggle. I struggle with sin. I struggle with temptation. I struggle with being blah with my devotional life. I struggle with these things. I've had this through my teenage years and my, and my 20s and 30s. And I don't think I'm alone here that other people have these same problems, right? Somehow we've got this idea that, that when you're going to get, you know, you come to faith that bam, everything's going to be perfect. Like you, you've encountered the creator of the universe. Like from now on, everything is going to be wonderful and, and you're just going to just go from good thing to good thing. But the reality of our lives and the world we live in and even the spiritual realm that we're in, we realize that, man, there's, there's some sort of disconnect here. Why, is this, why am I having these experiences with God and then Monday and Tuesday, Wednesday, I'm feeling blah and I'm having doubts and struggles. What's going on here? Like what's happening? See, we want to change. We want to grow, but we really struggle to make it happen on a day-to-day -day basis. I uh, just want to put the next slide up here, Connie. This is our vision for us as a church. You know, people wholly heartedly devoted to Jesus. Not just like a little bit, but wholly, like all our life, going after Jesus, going right in, not just dipping our toes, getting right in the river. And then with each other and actively participating in the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God basically is just the rule and reign of God. It's God's way of doing life, permeating every aspect of our lives and us yielding to that. And that going into our, our town here, we love Palmy, and into our region, the Manawatu, and all throughout Aotearoa. Like, we've got a vision here at Kurimako that, that you would grow in your relationship with God. A lot of churches have a, a, a focus on numbers, like, and lip, God will grow the family as big as it needs to grow. But I guess my heart is that you, every person that's part of this church that calls Kaurimako home, is that you would grow in your relationship with God. That from like a year from now, five years, 10, 20 years, you can look back and go, wow, I've grown. I was like that, but I can see that I am growing in God and I'm, my behavior, my values, Everything about me is growing and shaping and forming me more like Jesus 
It's a slow process, but God is doing something in me as I'm part of this community. Like, that is desperately my heart for you guys. That's what I, I long for. Like that's, that's what I want to be the testimonies of this church. And I think it already is, but I think we're going to see more and more as we go deeper into the heart of God, is that that's what we'll be known as, as a church that's really deep in the love of God. And that's, what, that's, my, that's our desire for you guys. But this still begs the question, why is it so hard to change? Like, why is it so hard to change things in our lives? James K.A. Smith um, wrote this incredible book. Um, I know I always bang on about different books you should read, but this one really was just groundbreaking for me, just in understanding how we do life. And it's called You Are What You Love. And he writes about his wife and him got into this thing called the slow food movement. So, you know, basically getting into this kind of like, oh, I've got to get away from processed foods and sort of factory farm, get into sort of it's like organic and free-range animals, happy pigs and cows everywhere, you know, that kind of vibe, you know. He hasn't given up meat, but he's like, I want to know that the cow was happy before it died, you know, that, that kind of emphasis. Sorry if there's any vegans or vegetarians here. Uh, <laughs> anyway, he gets right into this. He loves his books, and he's, he's, he, him and his wife are like, yeah, yeah, this is awesome. This is how we want to live our life. And he has this, um, this moment, this epiphany where He's um, reading through this book, and he's just like, with his little highlighter pen, and he's just like, yes, 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 and amen. Amen to that. Oh, this is great. Yes, I believe this. This is what we've got to do. And then he just realizes for a second where he is, and he looks around, and he's in a food court. And worse than that, he's eating a a foot-long hot dog. And the thing that he realized there as he's doing that is is that is an example between what we want and what he thought he wanted. We want to change, but we really love hot dogs. And we know this is true, right? Because we, 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 in many areas of our life, we, we, we have an idea about change, like, man, it'd be good to do that. But then suddenly you're at the fridge and you're eating that thing you shouldn't eat. You know, like, we, how does that happen? And it's because we have a really, we don't really understand how our, our spirits, our bodies, and our minds will work together. In our brains, we have this thing called a prefrontal cortex, which is basically the logic center of, of your head. And uh, for most men, this is why you don't um, get insurance, full insurance on your car till you're 25. It doesn't usually fully develop, I think, until 25. But it's basically that logic part that's like, this is a good idea. No, that is a bad idea. And then we have another part of our, our kind of our brain that's called the limbic system, which is all our, like, desires for things. Now, these, are, these are, can be good and bad things, but it's just basically a desire center that it wants things. And what happens is that our logic part of our brain says, this is a really good thing you should do. You should really do this. But our limbic part of our body kind of takes over. It's a bit like um, Smeagol and, and um, Gollum, thank you. Smeagol's like, oh, we shouldn't do this. And, and Gollum's like, me wants it. <laughs> it's that kind of part of that, me wants this thing. And it's like the logic part's like, man, this is stupid. Why are you doing it? Oh, but it feels good. I want to do it. And it, over, it takes over our... Our, our logic center a lot of the time when we allow it. And this is why we often fail 
at the goals or the things that we're really trying to change in life. And this is why we have this kind of, this actually, I mean, this is why this is so serious, and I'm, I'm just like making a few jokes about this, but, but actually this is, the stakes are high in our life. Like, this is, you know, for an alcoholic, that's the person that's sitting there with the drink in their hand, knowing this thing is killing me and destroying my family, but I, I can't stop taking it. I, like my body, my flesh just longs for this. It's, it's the same as the father that's like about to look at pornography and he's like, I know this is destroying my marriage and my family, but I'm just going to go into that thing again. Like the logic says, this is dumb. This is not what you should be doing. But our, the flesh part of us is just like, I want to give into this desire. And I think we don't understand how much we're driven by desire because we think that we're really logical beings but we're actually at a very core part of us driven by desires. Go to the next slide, Johnny. Oh, go to the next one, sorry. Uh, James K. Smith says this. He says, um, he says, Jesus is a teacher who doesn't just inform our intellect, but forms our very love. So he isn't content to simply deposit new do- ideas into our mind. He's after nothing less than your wants, your loves, and your longings. So Jesus gets this because he made us, and he knows the world we live in, and he knows the struggles and the spiritual battles that we have. And so his, Jesus's heart is that he actually wants to get into your heart and your, all that part of you and your desires and deepest longings, and he wants to reform, transform that. And the way that happens is through being with him and learning from him and letting his teachings get deep into us. Go back to the slide before, Johnny. Here's Master Jesus talking in Matthew 11, which um, Hannah read out. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Now, here's the key line here and what our series is all about. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Now, that is the vision. What a beautiful vision, to live freely and lightly. But how many of us today could say, this morning I'm just feeling like I'm living freely and lightly. I'm not struggling with anxiety or depression. I'm not struggling with addictions and things that are holding me back. I'm living freely and lightly. I'm not losing it with my colleagues or my kids. I'm living freely and lightly. I'm living into the life that God wants for me. This is what I was talking about before. God loves you where you, who you are and where you're at, but he longs, this is what he longs for. This is his vision for your life is that you would live freely and lightly. He talks in John about that you have life and life in abundance. Like God, this, God knows how hard life is because he created us and he understands what Jesus even lived amongst us. He gets all this and he says, this is what I want for your life. I don't want you to struggle through every single day. Not that you're not going to have challenges or battles or things like that, but I want to give you the keys to life so that you can live like this. And man, when I read that, I'm just like, I want that. I want that so much for my life. I've got like a taste of it. I feel like I'm growing in this. But I want to be a person when I hit my 50s and 60s and 70s that I'm just going deeper and deeper into being freely and lightly, that I am a patient person, 
that I'm long-suffering, that I don't lose my cool quickly, that I am, you know, loving and gracious and patient with people. That, that, is, the, that is the heart of Jesus for our lives, and that is what we want to go after as a church. And like I said before, the key phrase in this passage in the title of our series is um, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. We're calling this series the rhythms of grace. This is all about uh, um, spiritual formation, and you may be unfamiliar with that term. Um, But basically, it's all just been by allowing the Holy Spirit to form our lives, to start doing this work, the deep work within us, so that we can live freely and lightly. Uh, Next slide, Johnny. great guy Robert Mulholland um, defined spiritual formation as the process, and that's the key word there, process, by which we are formed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. Now, this is not self-help, and that's why I love this quote here by Robert Mulholland. We are being transformed, as Paul said, you know, into greater likeness to Christ, from glory to glory. We are being transformed into the image of Christ. We don't become Christ, but we become more like him the more we spend time with him and let his teachings get deep into us. So, not that we just feel good, because that's a, that's a great byproduct, so that we can live freely and lightly. Yes, amen. But it's so that we can be people who carry that presence, that you know, um, non-anxious presence into our workplaces, into our homes, into our neighborhoods, into our conversations with every person we have, that the people are like, what is with these people? We live in an anxious and worried and troubled world. Why are these people like that? What is going on within them that they can live with such peace and such joy and such love, even in the midst of difficult circumstances? It, it's, it's, we've got to live in such a way, Leslie Newbegin said, that it will provoke answers, you know, it will provoke questions that we will need to give answers for, in a sense. Like, why are you living like that? Why are you like that in this circumstance? It's because we've allowed Christ to form in us so deeply, we become more like him. And this is, this, uh, incidentally, this is, this is you know, um, I, I find this really beautiful. Some, some church fathers actually believe that we, when we, when we you know, finish in this life and go into the next life, that we will continue to grow. That eternity is just a process of never-ending growth in God. That, that it's not just us all just lying around in the clouds, but it's actually, this is the heart of God, that we will grow and we'll develop and we'll do beautiful things from now into eternity. Like this is the creator heart of God for all of us. And how that actually works is that for 2,000 years, Christians have looked at the life of Jesus. They've looked at his rhythms, his routines, they've looked at his teachings, the stuff that he said, and then they've applied all those things to follow after him, imitating the master. And uh, this is often sometimes called discipleship um, in churches, um, but I think sometimes that term can be a bit lost in us in in the 2023. Um, But I think a a better term for that is, is what John Mark Comer coins, which is apprentice. Jesus' disciples were, were like his apprentices. Uh, go to the next slide, Johnny. Now, when I uh, left high school, I didn't really know what to do. And my uncle was a builder. And he, he said to my father, he said, oh, well, Nick can come and work with me as a builder's laborer, you know. 
and, you know, see if he likes it sort of thing. Well, <laughs> they're all laughing. <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> now, this, is a, this is gets back to that book I said at the start about having a vision for your life and then the reality. Um, I was like, cool. Because I had this vision of like, man, this is going to be amazing. Like, I think I saw like visions of myself on a roof, no shirt on, eight pack, and you know, tanned. I had hair back then, so long flowing hair, and you know, sort of, you know, like, like looking really good on the work site kind of thing. Like, oh, and I thought, man, this is going to learn all these mad skills and build my own house and deck and fence. Pit. Oh, it's going to be great. Well, the reality was different. <laughs> I got to that work site, and it was a lot of digging these foundations, and then I had these things appear on my hand, these like blisters and stuff, I'm like, I've never had this before, what's this? This is very painful, can't we get a machine to dig these, this dirt out? And then drinking black tea, like, can't we have milk, for goodness sake? Like, and sitting with like two old 40-year-old guys, and I'm like 18, and I don't know what the heck to talk to them about. Unfortunately for, for me and for my uncle, um, I am not the most practical man on the planet. Uh, I found out I'm pretty much all thumbs when it comes to doing, like, kind of building work. Uh, but if I had been more practically minded, I noticed as I was, you know, reflecting on this, my uncle was trying to show me how to do building work, even though I was a labourer. I think he was trying to get me interested in it. He was trying to, to show me, you can do this, and this is a way you can you know, get around this problem, or, or this is how you can solve this thing, and I, I just was really rubbish at it, because I just wanted to be like, can you just tell me what to do, I, I don't know how to think for myself, <laughs> but I think that, that that is so true, um, not just in the building world, but in every job in life that I've experienced, and probably for you guys, like a lot of the jobs I've done in life, I've got a degree, or a diploma, or some sort of, I've got my ticket, you know, but the real education starts on the workplace, eh? Day one when you're at the office and you're like, how the heck do you do this? <laughs> and then you just look for that kindly person in the office that's like, looks like they're very long-suffering and you just say, how do I do this? How do I do this? And you just keep going back to that person like, how do you operate this machine? Like, and how, where's that paper and that form to do this thing? Like, even when I went as a lawyer, it was like, I think about like 95 to 98% of what I, I actually learnt was on the job, not for my law degree. It was like just talking to people like, how do you do this? And how do you do this? And what about in this situation? And isn't that true of most of our jobs? Like no one turns up on the first day of work unless you're some sort of freak genius and know how to do everything at that workplace and can just solve every problem. All of us in some shape or form in our jobs, even being, like, even being parents, start on day one and have to learn through experience, unfortunately. And isn't experience like the greatest teacher? My, um, my dad, he's, a, he's, a, he's sort of a retired pastor now, but when he was a young pastor, he had this mentor he used to go to sometimes to talk about sort of problem solving and stuff. And, and this guy, he was a bit of a sage, an older pastor, he said to my dad one time about some problem he was talking about, he said, Phil, I'd just love to put my hands on you and just release all my experience and stuff and all, all that, just give it to you right now, but I'm sorry, you, this stuff you just have to walk, you just have to learn, you just have to learn on the job, you have to talk to people, you have to read, you have to, like there's just a process of experience and growth and, and the, the same is true in our workplaces and our life as in our walk with Jesus. 
we don't just arrive on day one. Well, we'll never fully arrive in this life anyway, but, but we, we grow, like we have to learn. And this is where the spiritual practices are just so helpful because, you, guys, we've got 2,000 years of Christians who have chewed over this stuff, thought about this stuff, and worked out what is, what is the key stuff that helps people grow in God and become more like Jesus. And so this is this like school of transformation. This is a, like a gymnasium, a place where we can grow in God. And we do not just on our own, but with each other. We help each other out in this. And unfortunately, I think most of the methods of change that we have in our, in our churches and even in our, and I've been guilty of this myself as a pastor, is, is predicated on a kind of a model which is basically something like this. Information plus inspiration equals transformation. So information, get as much information out to people as possible. And I'm guilty of this too. Like, listen to this podcast, read this book. You know, if you do that, then, it, you know, the, the penny will drop and you'll really be transformed. And then inspiration, you know, like we come to church on Sundays, we want to feel inspired, like, yeah, I'm going to do it. Woo, willpower. But then by Wednesday, it's all fallen apart and you've gone down the side, you know. Like, this is the kind of model that's in, a, in, in our Western education system. This is the, the model that is in our, in our churches, is that we just got to get more information. Fano, we are the generation with the most access to the most resources that there's ever been in the Christian church. Like, think about your ancestors. Most of them couldn't even read and write. But we can all read and write, yet we're probably the most biblically illiterate generation there's ever been. We've got podcasts, we've got worship stuff, we've got everything all on tap, but it's not leading to transformation. Now, I'm not against learning, I'm not against study, I love theology, I love all that stuff, but if it doesn't lead to transformation in our lives, it's not worth it, is it? Like the ultimate aim of, of education is not to just get more educated, it's actually to grow, it's actually to be transformed, it's actually to put it into practice in our life, and it's when, we, when the rubber hits the road, when we start putting this stuff into practice, in church and in our life, it's, we're going to start seeing life. We're going to start seeing growth in us. The thing is, every day through our decisions and actions, are mostly unconscious, we are being shaped and formed into something. Who are we becoming as people? Are we becoming more like Jesus or are we becoming more like the world? And I say that with all the grace and no condemnation at all because I'm just as guilty of being formed and shaped by the world as anyone else. But that's the challenge, guys. Are we becoming more and more like Jesus? Is our hearts orientated more and more towards Him or are our hearts more orientated towards our, the world? Netflix, our phones, politics, the news, sports, you know, whatever it is that, that's drawing on your heart, whatever it is, is it bringing you closer to the heart of God or is it bringing you closer to the heart of the world? You see back in that hot dog story from James K.A. Smith, he makes the point that we can't think our way into new hungers. It will require a whole new set of practices and unlearning those bad habits would require, will require counter-formational practices, different rhythms and routines that would retrain his hunger. His hungers would have to be retrained so that he would, not want, so that he would want to eat differently. Keep going, uh, Johnny. So th for the next sort of eight weeks, we're going to 
we're going to have a little bit of break for the school holidays, um, but we're going to sort of start working our way through these core practices in this series. So we've got prayer, solitude, fasting, scripture, simplicity, hospitality, generosity, and Sabbath. Now, some of these things, you guys, some of you guys already do. Great, fantastic. Um, some of you will be like, uh, I don't know what that's about. Or some of you guys are like, I've, I know what that's about, but I've never done it, like maybe fasting or something. But I just want to say, hey, this is okay. We're a whānau. We're going on a journey together. We're learning together. This is a school of transformation, right? And so we grow together. We're not just a whole lot of individuals. And so some of us are going to have a bit more knowledge in some areas and some of us are not. But we're going to help each other in this as we're apprentices of Jesus, working and growing towards the same goal of being more like him. And this is, this is, this is, you know, this is where it shows that Jesus is super practical. Um, do you just want to go to the next slide, Johnny? In Matthew 7, um, this is at the end of Jesus' greatest teaching, the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is intensely practical when you actually start thinking through and reading about it. It's actually dealing with the issues of life. There's anger there, there's lust, there's divorce, there's forgiveness, there's loving your enemies. It's all hard stuff that we all struggle with, that we walk through as, as Christians and as humans. And Jesus gets that. He gets that at such a foundational level. But at the end of that great sermon, Jesus ends with this, um, with this thing. He says in Matthew 7, 24 to 27, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, and here's the key words, and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Going down to verse 26, but everyone who hears the words of mine and does not put them into practice, and if you went to Sunday school, you know what happens then. That house fell over, didn't it? <laughs> well, corny Sunday school joke. <laughs> but I would have read that passage years ago and just thought about the, the illustration from Sunday school of the house like going down the river or something on a whole lot of sand or something. But when I'm reading that there, I'm just like, Jesus is like, I didn't say all these words here. I didn't put out this great teaching on how to live life just so you could think, oh, well, that's you, Jesus, and you're awesome, but we can't do it. He's like, no, 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 no. This is how to live life. And now I'm putting a challenge out to you as my apprentices. Will you take up that invitation to, that, to live lightly and freely? Will you put this in practice because it leads to flourishing? It leads to a good life. It leads to growth in you and your family, your marriage, and to others. Or are you going to ignore all my great guidance for life and try and do it yourself? And, and you can live with the results of that. Now, I'm not saying Jesus is saying this is some super harsh person here, but he's actually kind of just getting the reality of life, right? Because he's, he's a person who speaks incredible truth into situations. He's like, this is the path to life. This is the path to flourishing. Go this way, guys. Follow me and learn as you go this way. Don't go this way. Don't try and do it yourself. Don't get caught up in the world because that leads to destruction. And in the thing is with this series too, it's, it's not just a one and done thing. Um, like we're going to do eight weeks on these things and we're going to have some visiting speakers um, I, many of you guys are, are doing these things through the practicing the way material that's in the groups and uh, there's actually you know there's a super massive range of different spiritual practices out there I've actually just drilled it down to those eight that are covered in the in the course just to be super practical 
so we're going to, but we're going to, we're going to do this series, and, and effectively, it's like a once over lightly. Effectively, it's just to give everyone here like a kind of, hey, this is what spiritual practices are. Here's the basics of it. But then over the next few years as a church, we're going to just start unpacking these things, like, you know, doing little series on each one so we can actually deep dive into it and really, you know, get all the goodies out of it to really help us grow and transform. Um, but I just want to say, it's, this is th- these are some of the things that are really deep on our hearts. Like, we're a charismatic church, if you haven't noticed. People prophesy, they speak in tongues, and we believe in the, the works of the Holy Spirit right here and now. And we are going to go hard on that too. Like, I love that. But I, I, I feel like what Holy Spirit's doing right at the moment, it's like this convergence thing in the church where he's bringing all of that that's come right down through the Holy Spirit, the power, the presence, that, the experience of God that we've, uh, many of us have had. But he's also bringing this beautiful way of Jesus that was always there as well, which has been forgotten by a lot of the church. He's bringing those together like, it's like two streams come together to a big, like, you know, big torrent of a river and this convergence moment where it's like, so you guys can have like an experience of God, maybe on a Sunday or at a conference or something, but by Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you have built into your life spiritual practices that that doesn't fade away. It's a bit like the, the, the wine skin with the, the new wine. We're like, we, want that, we want that wine skin to hold that beautiful new wine, right? We don't want it to leak out. We want it to, to build in us and grow in us so that when our workplaces or we're in our conversations, we're still bubbling with that life come Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then we come back to church for another top-up, and we're like, yep, let's keep going. This is good, you know? Like, this is life and life in abundance, not just on Sundays, but Monday to Saturday. It's every day. I'll finish with this. It's a, a bit like New Year's resolutions. We want to see massive change fast. So we often have big, lofty goals, which we struggle to implement and keep up. Can I encourage you that this type of change is slow? You know, Rachel Hunter famously said, you know, it won't happen overnight, but it will happen, you know. Like, this stuff is not dramatic change. <laughs> Pantene, come on. <laughs> it really works over the board here, eh? Like, <laughs> we should wear a wig or something when I do that. Like, this stuff takes years. But all the good stuff of God is the slow change. The slow work of the Holy Spirit making you softer and open to Him. Making you more patient and kind and loving. Like this is the good stuff as God works in us deeply and shapes and forms a community into something beautiful. I just want to finish with this final slide and then I'll pray and we can, we can finish this morning. Madagascar is probably still going. You might want to close your eyes for this, um, but just just focus. Just just have a, have a little bit of a review of your life. Take a spiritual audit of your life. And before we do this, before I go through these questions again, I just want to remind you, grace, <laughs> His mercies are new every day. He loves us, not for what we do or achieve, but for who we are. He created us. He loves us. Even when we don't love him back, he loves us. He loves us. He loves us. Paul reminds us there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is not about condemnation. This is not about beating ourselves up. 
This is just about yielding ourselves to the work of the Holy Spirit to grow and become more like Jesus and do what he did. So the first question as you kind of just review your life, what's shaping you? What are your daily habits and routine? Like even just imagine yourself as you get up out of bed in the morning. What's the first things you do? Do you grab your phone? Do you check Facebook and Instagram? If you've got Outlook on your phone, are you checking those emails to see if you got that nasty email from Bob? Oh, no, another one from him. Oh, it's going to be a terrible day. I, I don't get emails from Bob. That's just a hypothetical. Um, you know, do you, do you start with a coffee? Do you have a shower? Do you go for a walk? Do you start with prayer? Like, like how, does, how does your day start? And then when you're at work, as you're in workplace and you, you get to your lunchtime, do you, do you just go and blob out on the internet or, or, or go grab some food to feel good? Or like, like, what do you do? And then when you get home at the end of a busy day, do you, do, you, do you go to TV? Do you go to alcohol? Do you go to some nice food for comfort? Do you just go into social media? Like, what, what do you do to comfort your soul? Where are you spending your time? What is taking your attention And then think about something simple that you could start with today or first thing tomorrow morning that will begin the process of recalibrating your heart. Just bringing your heart closer to God. Single step, just something really basic. It could be as simple as, you know, when I wake up, instead of grabbing my phone, I'm just going to say thank you, God, for this day. Or as I have my coffee in the morning, I'm just going to give thanks God for this beautiful coffee and, and the fact that I'm healthy and that I'm alive. Give thanks for my family. Or I might just pray the Lord's Prayer as I'm driving in the car to work. Not big lofty goals, guys. Just simple, concrete steps like a habit like how you brush your teeth. It's something that could get into your lymphatic system. It's something you do almost unconsciously because it's what you do. It's part of your habits. This is how you start your day, it's how you have your morning tea, it's how you have your lunch break, it's how you finish your day as you go to bed and sleep at night. What are the things that you're going to do? Those little, small, concrete steps. And just make it so easy that you, you just couldn't fail. Like so basic that you just couldn't fail. Just so easy. Make it that simple. Just make one little step and then build from there. 